at the very end of our, our explaining the first Peter text, which is a letter written by Peter to a church or several churches in Asia Minor, which is basically today's Middle East. We're at the very end. These are the last verses, First Peter chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. And we basically have a closing to the letter, closing words. Um, and we read these amazing words that he's been really aiming to communicate to a suffering church the promises of God in Christ, the hope of eternal life. And we read these really profound sort of final words. I've written and sent this short letter to you to encourage you and to assure you that, you are ex that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm. What an amazing closing line that we read. I have written and sent this short letter to you to encourage you and to assure you that what you are experiencing, what you are experiencing is truly a part of God's grace for you. You say, my marriage is in trouble. My relative is sick. Someone I love is in, in danger. Friend, the words of Peter to you this morning and to me is that what we experience is truly a part of God's grace for you. We're going to get into that a little more as we go. Peter says, I write to you. To you. That's who he's writing to. You see, we might think that he's writing to a specific church, and he is. No doubt this letter has a context. Um, it has a specific re re recipient, various Christians, as I said, in Asia Minor. Um, some of these people, perhaps Peter even knew personally, maybe some of these churches he had visited. But he writes this letter, and this letter begins to get circulated to suffering, persecuted churches. But when we approach the Bible, it's important for us, friends, to remember something very critical, that when we approach the Bible, Scripture, all of it, is written to you, inspired by God himself written to everyone who calls on the name of Jesus Christ. It's even, much of it is even written to those not yet understanding of who Christ is. You see, it's a letter from heaven to us. So Peter's writing to Asia Minor, but God is writing to you. You see, that's the wonderful part of Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed, according to its own testimony. All scripture is breathed out by God, and because of this, it is profitable for us. For reproof, rebuke, correction, training, encouragement, all these different things. So Peter, here's the Apostle Peter, imagine, down the quarters of time, speaking to you. Speaking not just to a suffering church in Asia Minor, but speaking to you. It's very personal. It's very personal. 2,000 years later, Peter was thinking about this church. Oh, you say, oh, he might not have known about this church in particular, but he knew that what he was writing was to the church of Christ. As long as Christ would come back, this would be read by the church. And that's who we are this morning, 2,000 years later. I, I would imagine what a terrifying thrill this was for Peter. Imagine if I was kind of tasked to go into my office, sit at my table, and write a sermon that I knew God would, because God told me, 
was going to be read by the universal church until Jesus comes back. Oh, I'd be a little nervous, I think. The only confidence that Peter had in writing was that he was told that in his writing he would be inspired by God himself. So that took some of the heat off, I think. But what a sobering and chilling thought. What would I write, I imagine? What would I say? We know what Peter says. We, we know what God says. We know how he closes it because it's right there in front of us. God himself, the creator of heaven and earth, writes to you. Isn't that great? A love letter to you. An encouragement, a reminder to you. When you're afraid, what does God speak to you? Well, just open his word and discover it. So Peter writes to us. And now this letter is ending and he's closing it. What might he say? How is he going to wrap this up? Let's make some closing observations about God's word to us through the Apostle Peter. Number one, these words are personal and corporate. They are personal and corporate. I have, if you look at our screens, I have written and sent this short letter to you. It's not from Siri, right? It's not a computer. These aren't theological platitudes or concepts. These are from a person with a heartbeat. I write this short letter to you with the help of Silas. Silas, there's another one. He's encouraging you too. I commend him as a faithful brother. Not only these two, now we got two people writing to us, but let's, let's add to this community. In verse 13, your sister church here in Babylon sends you greetings as well. Not just Peter, not just Silas, but the entire church of Babylon. And, oh, by the way, let's add my beloved son, Mark. Here is this large community of believers sending a suffering church the words of God, encouraging them. Here we have our food seasoned with all of these names, all of these saints. At the other end of your pain, friend, is a person. Not an idea, not a theology, a person. A person with emotions, a person with a will, a person with a heartbeat, a person that bleeds like you bleed. You see, at the other end of your, of your pain are people that love you. You see, not only that, we could add to this that God is at the other end of your pain. People that care about our welfare, people that think about us, not just Peter, but Silas and Mark, an entire church, loves us and is thinking about us. But let's add to this, because we can know from other places of Scripture that this isn't the lone church that is considering the welfare of the church universal, the timeless church, which, is, which we are included. We know that the entirety of God's people, the whole hosts of heaven, every saint that's ever passed with Christ in heaven right now, all of the angels of heaven are pleading with us through God's word to trust him, to persevere, to continue. Amen? Here we have this wonderful message. You have the moon and the stars in Romans chapter 1 and Psalms chapter 19. The moon and the stars speaking to you of the glory of God. 
You see, they have no voice, but their voice goes out. The sun, like God's word, heats our skin and reminds us that there is a God that loves us. You see, it's personal and it's corporate. All of this for you, I have written to you. You see, if the scriptures are inspired by God, I is not Peter. I is the Lord of heaven. I have written to you, church, 2,000 years later, Warren, Rhode Island, sitting in these seats this morning. I, God of heaven, have written to you. Did you know God writes to you? Did you know that God thinks about you, cares about you, is concerned whether you go left or right? Did you know that about the maker of heaven and earth, that he considers you like this? I have written to you. You're not alone. You're not alone. You don't suffer alone. You don't cry alone. You don't lose alone. You don't grieve alone. The Lord of heaven and earth is speaking with you, pleading with you, crying with you, grieving with you, rejoicing with you. Amen? Oh, let's remember that. God's grace to you is personal. I have written to you with the help of Silas, the church, and Mark, ultimately inspired by God himself. I am writing these things to you. What else can we learn in these final words? I think what's important to note here is that we can learn that trial is continued yet shared. Now, this is a harder one. We, don't, we might not really like this one. It might not seem too encouraging. But in these words, we can see that trial, suffering, pain, loss is continued, but it's shared. Let me explain to you this. Your sister church here in Babylon sends you greetings. Okay, Babylon. Paul is not in Babylon. Paul's in Rome. What's he doing here? You see, Babylon was an ancient city in Mesopotamia that had been destroyed long ago by the Greeks. Then the Greeks fell and the Romans took over, and, and that brings you to where Paul is, or Peter is writing right now. So what is this reference to Babylon when there is no church in Babylon? Babylon was an insignificant city at the time. So why on, the earth, why on earth is Paul mention, mentioning, Peter mentioning Babylon? Well, Peter, like others at the time, this wasn't just him, it was also secular people, often compared Rome to Babylon. And there was a reason for it. <clears throat> Babylon was led, if you recall, in the Old Testament by the king Nebuchadnezzar. And what did Nebuchadnezzar do? Nebuchadnezzar eventually sacked Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and cattle herded God's people as slaves off to the city of Babylon and to Babylonia. They, the, the, the city of the, the nation of Israel became enslaved or slaves to this nation Babylon. So Babylon had become known, at least in, in, the, in the mind of the ancient Israel, as the protagonists of God's people, the enemy of God's people, the ones who put God's people into slavery. Okay? Peter, who is now part of the city Rome, is seeing history repeat itself. Rome is now becoming the new Babylon, the center of power on, on the earth at the time, the most powerful nation in the world, who persecuted the church and Israel violently. You recall even Jesus Christ himself was crucified by Rome. Eventually, again, the, the, the Babylonian destruction of the temple in the Old Testament, they rebuilt it, but then Rome destroyed it again. 
So Rome, for the Israelite, was the, was the new Babylon. Peter, as part of the new people of God, the church, right? The church has now replaced Israel as God's people. The church is now, Peter is now, at the center of Rome, the center of Babylon. See? Now what, what does this say to us? Friends, the church is always in Babylon as long as Christ returns. You see, the church is always in the city of man. And according to Scripture, until Jesus comes back for his people, we are unfortunately in the midst of a community, a culture that is counter-Christian, that resists the principles of God, that has, according to the Bible, Satan as the God of their system and their philosophy. Now, I'm not trying to speak militantly against culture, to say that we're at some kind of war with culture, just to speak the reality that the gospel is called to transform it. You see, but it's always present as long as the God of this world continues to reign. In Babylon, we see Satan ruling, deluding the minds of people, lying to them, tempting the, the earth, uh, people of earth day and night. Like a lion, he destroys, or at least aims to destroy, any bridge that might lead them to the truth of God's word and to the truth that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And friends, nothing has changed. For as long as Christ tarries, until Jesus returns, the church is always going to be in the midst of Babylon. And if that's true, the church will always have to face suffering. You see, isn't this interesting now? Because Peter is speaking to a suffering church. He might be speaking to you in your grief. And he introduces himself as Peter, I, Peter, the church in Babylon, am speaking to you. You see, in other words, I too share the suffering that you share. He is in it with us. The kingdom of man, though it has its hour, will only endure but a moment. It comes to an end. And friends, it's out of this darkness that light shines in the midst of our Babylon. That light shines and transforms and God awakens people. And the city of man has this spotlight of the city of God shine down on it as we see people come to faith in Christ. So Peter says, from one church in Babylon to another, stand firm. From one church in Babylon to another, stand firm. Because friends, no matter what we face, no matter what opposition we face as Christians, Jesus is coming back with a crown. So endure, endure. You know, we might ask, like the psalmist asks, you ever, you ever hear Psalm 2? Why do the nations so furiously rage together? Why do the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth, they stand up, and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed. They say, let us break their bonds asunder. Let us cast their cords from us. But he that dwells in heaven will laugh. The Lord will hold them in derision because I have set my king on the holy hill of Zion. You see, isn't that amazing? The king reigns 
on the holy hill of Zion, even though there's a moment where across this world, Christianity and Christ, even in the face of, of Christians who have compassion and desire the good of others, even in the face of this, they're killed and tortured and destroyed. You see, Jesus, Jesus Christ reigns on his holy hill. And it is but a moment, but an hour, because he's promised to return. Amen? Amen. So out of this futile resistance and out of this drunken delusion, God calls his people to endure to the end. And friends, this morning, be sober-minded. You know how many times Peter said that in this book? Be sober-minded, he says. Endure to the end is our call. Number three, he reminds us of God's grace. He reminds us of God's grace. My purpose in writing, here it is. If you wonder, what's, what, what is this letter about? Okay. He tells us, my purpose in writing is to encourage you and to assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Now, I know some of that, some of you here this morning, that hits you pretty hard. What you are experiencing is God's grace to you. He's, how, how is that possible? to lose a mom or a friend or a child? How can I wrap my mind around that? How is it God's grace to me? This loss, this pain, this grief. Friends, God's grace, the word grace, it, in, it includes all the good gifts that he provides. Okay? So just follow me. The word grace, it's everything that, God, that is good that God provides for you. His strength, it includes his help, it includes his forgiveness and his fellowship. And all of this we need from him or we perish. You see, that's what, what makes it grace. We can't do it ourselves. Grace is a gift. It's received, it's given freely and received as a free gift or it would not be grace anymore. You see, if I, if I pay, you to mow your, my, pay you to mow my lawn, it's not a gift. It's a work paid for. But if you mow my lawn and you say it's a gift and I don't pay you, it's truly a gift that's just meant to be received as a gift from you. See, salvation, everything that God does for us is the same way. You say, well, I worked for my food. Okay, well, how did you work? How do you have the brain to even know to go to work? See what I mean? How does your heart keep pumping in your chest so that you'll have life so that you can go to work? Everything that you need, from the breath in your lungs to the water that you drink to the food that you eat, all is a gift of grace um, up from God to you. You see, and if you think you deserve it and you earn it, you miss the point entirely. Everything is a gift from God. It's a good gift of His grace. None of it we deserve. It's not merited, it's not earned, and it's freely given. What you are experiencing, underline experiencing, what you are experiencing is God's grace. Okay, well, let's talk about this. What does that include? What's Peter talking about? What about the church in Asia Minor, what's the experience? Was it this experience versus that experience, or was it all? The experience that Peter's referring to is the entire spectrum of life in Christ. All of it is a gift of grace. And, well, let's unpack that a little bit. What do I mean by that? Well, 
If you've come to know and believe in Jesus, that's a gift of grace from God. So the very beginning of your spiritual life is a gift of grace. Jesus introduced himself to you. He called you. He convicted you, according to the Gospel of John, of sin, righteousness, and judgment, so that you would come to him and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. All of it's a gift to you that you don't deserve. See? From first coming to know life in Christ, but also it includes all of the trials that you endure. You see, the gift isn't that some, the, the bad thing that happened. The gift is what God does to you through it. You see, where he's leading by it. You see, all sin is a consequence, excuse me, all tragedy, all death, all pain is a consequence of the brokenness of our world, of sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We live in a cursed and broken world. So tragedy and all these things happen because we live in a sinful world. They're a consequence of it. But then God takes it, he uses it to transform you. And who's the prime example of this? Jesus Christ. You see, friends, how did he save us? What did Jesus do to save us? By singing a great song? By flexing his holy muscles? By creating more planets? By displaying his power? Maybe his power in a sense, but what did he do to save us? He became suffering. He used the curse of sin to turn it around. He died for us. He became all the death that we endure every day so that we could have life. You see, so even the suffering is a part of God's grace to us because through it and by it, God saves us. He saves us so that we never have to endure it again. And at the very end of the scriptures, in the book of Revelation, he wipes away all your tears. There's no more crying. There's no more death. There's no more pain. It's gone. You see, you don't need it. Any. You don't need Celexa anymore. Right? Citalopran is out the window. Because you're not broken anymore. Your body isn't broken anymore. It's healed in every sense of the word. It's healed physically, it is healed spiritually, and it is healed emotionally. All of it is healed. Isn't that great? No more insulin needles. Right? Amen, right? You're not going to lose these things anymore. No more divorce. No more adultery. You see, it's done. And God heals it. And it's through that pain that he saves us. By that suffering, by that curse, Jesus goes to a cross. He becomes all of our divorces, all of our deaths, all of our sicknesses and illnesses, and he turns it on its ear, and through it, he wins the day. Amen? Isn't that great news? All is grace. <clears throat> all of this is God's movement in our lives to form his love in us now and to lead us to a perfect love in the future when he comes. And without that suffering, there would be no salvation. There would be only suffering, and our suffering would be the end in itself. But Christ makes it not the end in itself, but a road to the end, which is life in Christ. So we're reminded the true meaning and purpose of our existence, and that's soul union with our maker. You see, you got a best friend. You have, you have someone that your soul mates with. 
We've all experienced, I think, friendship or relationship with people on a very deep and intimate level like that. Well, the reason that I think that we can experience that is because God made you to have that with him. And he calls you to have it with him. Amen? I want also to note our need for communal affection. This scripture brings out. Our need for communal affection. Greet each other, it says, with a kiss of love. Some translations say a holy kiss. Greet each other with a holy kiss. Now, I know right away, men don't want men kissing each other normally, right? Don't kiss me. The women are like, I don't want men kissing me either, right? So let's just back up a little bit and, and recognize that this verse has a context. And it was in a culture where that was pretty normal. It wasn't like a deep, romantic, intimate sort of kiss. It probably would have been done on the cheek, almost kind of like what we would do with a hug today. Okay? So don't kiss people after church. Okay? I'm watching you. Peace is not something that Christians get when Jesus comes back. You see, a lot of times people say, oh, I can't wait. I just want to go home. And I think I get it because Paul said that. I get it. There's a weight to life. There's a brokenness to this world. And because of that, Paul, the Apostle Paul, longed for heaven where it would all be fixed. So I get that. But I think, though, that there's a part of that longing that can become wrong. And the reason I believe that is because I think sometimes where it comes from is very miserable, cranky, crusty people that are just mad at the world. And we we think... You know, I just can't wait to go to heaven. And you're missing out on a peace that Jesus says, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. Joy is not just for heaven. Happiness is not just for the life after. It's for here and now. There is a lovely, wonderful oneness that you can have with Christ. And for me to live as Christ, Paul said. To live as Christ. It's not misery. It's not miserable. So what does this have to do with a kiss of love? It's interesting, I think, to me, because Peter is addressing a church in their assembly. One of the ways the affection of Christ takes on flesh and blood for us is by the affection of his people. You see, we receive peace by a mutual exchanged affection from us to Jesus. That's the Bible's prescription for peace in your life right now. To increase your peace, to increase your joy, it comes by an increasing love for the Lord. When you show him love and when you experience his love in return, your peace likewise increases. Your joy fills. You see, but what I'm saying here and what I'm suggesting to you is that one of the ways that your affection for Jesus increases One of the ways it takes on flesh and blood is when you exchange affection with God's people. You see, God's church, that affection leads us to peace. Greet each other with a holy kiss, a kiss that's set apart, a kiss that does something to our soul. It reminds us of who we are in Christ that you're not just in trouble, that you're not just a person that doesn't matter, that you are an eternal soul saved by Jesus Christ. That's what the holy kiss reminds us of. 
That's why it's holy. You see, friends, when we exchange community with each other, that should be the kind of fellowship we're exchanging. That thrilling rapture of the love of Christ that we see in each other's eyes. Isn't that great? Peter is talking to a church here that likely would have been assembled just like we are. And he tells that assembly, greet each other with a kiss of love. We kind of do this at our church. You know, I don't normally just do things for fun, right? Because <laughs> they work or we like them. Um, the reason we greet each other like this is because of verses like this. To me, Scripture instructs me that when we gather, we're not supposed to come and just listen to a sermon and leave like we were never there. We can do that on a screen, can't we? You see, when we gather as the church, the Bible says, have a holy affection that you communicate to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because that is one of the ways that the affection of Christ is received to you directly. You know the, the, when, do you remember when Jesus knocked Saul off his donkey? Remember that? And he said, why are you persecuting me? Do you, you remember this in Scripture in the book of Acts? Well, this is interesting because P, uh, Paul was killing Christians. He was persecuting Christians, the church. Jesus shows up and he says, why are you persecuting me? The reason is because we're his bride. We're one with Christ in, when, when, by faith in Christ. To persecute the church is to persecute Christ. That means, consequently, to love the church is to love Christ. To be loved by the church is to be loved by Christ. You see, friends, we miss out when we don't exchange in a holy affection with God's people. The joy of Christ is filled in us when we do this. See, if I were to tell you that Jesus Christ himself is going to be here next week, right? He's going to come down from heaven, okay? And he's going to be here next week, and he's going to preach to us. How many people would come? <laughs> we might drive you too, right? We'd show up. How many? You'd be here, wouldn't you? Would you watch it on, I'll, I'll, you know, they live stream it on Facebook. I'll watch Jesus from there. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't, oh, it's raining. I don't like the rain. You know, it's cold out. My bones get a little chilly. We wouldn't sleep in. We wouldn't say, well, I went to church last week, so I, I only go once a month, you know, so, right? We wouldn't do that. If, if I were to tell you that, okay, let's change it now. Jesus is going to be here every week. He's going to gather with us every time we gather. Wouldn't you want to be here? Wouldn't you show up? You see, friends, what we need is a vision of the church. We've lost it. We think that it's just us here. You think that it's just me loving you. It's not, friend. It's not. It's Jesus Christ. That's how he does it until he tarries and comes back. The body the bride, we see Jesus in each other's eyes. You see, we need a vision of that again. Or we'll just be content to watch it on TV or not watch it at all. Or maybe we will show up, but we'll just jam out of here as quick as we can. Because, you know, I, I got the sermon. That, that's good enough. Right? I'm, I know I'm preaching hard. I'm preaching to myself. Because, you know, sometimes I don't want to be around you guys. And it's not because... It <laughs> 
<laughs> it's not because of you. It's not because you're mean. It's because I'm just in a mood, right? You guys ever been, have you ever been in a mood, right? I'm just in a mood, and I don't want to be around people. Especially, I don't want to be around people that ask me how I'm doing, right? Come, give me, leave me alone, right? That's, what, that's how we feel sometimes. But if Christ were here, we'd allow him in. We would say, I'm going to be, as long as Jesus is showing up, I'm going to be in his midst. I'm going to be at his feet. We might greet him a certain way, wouldn't he? Wouldn't we greet him with a kiss of love? Wouldn't we embrace him? Might we fall to our knees? Oh, I imagine we all would do that. We might sit and listen to him teach us until the night time. You see? Because we know something about Christ. We know that we need him. And I think we've forgotten that when we gather... There he is in our midst. Where two or three are present, there I am in your midst. Do you need Jesus? You're a Christian here, so I would imagine no one's going to disagree with that if you're a Christian. So I need you. One thing I know, I don't know much about theology, but one thing I know is I need to be around Jesus. I need to be around him. Well, can I tell you, I'm not making this up. I'm not just saying this so that we can have more butts in the seat on Sunday morning. I'm saying this because it's true. It's God's word. Where you are gathered, I'm there in your midst. You want the peace of Jesus Christ. What, what the writer he, Hebrew says, do not neglect the assembling of yourselves together, especially as the day draws near. And why? Because there I am in your midst. Jesus Christ is present. And I want to be around Jesus. So whether or not I see him in you doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. I need to be around you. Amen? I hear many amens to that one. Amen. <laughs> I, that's right. What, your mood. Oh, I hope that when you gather, you see this weight, this importance, this, gather, this gathering has. This is more than just greet, greet, another, greet one another with a holy kiss. You see, the Bible is instructing us first to gather but secondly to be holy in that gathering to communicate a holy affection for each other that's what god's call is to us as gathered saints of jesus christ amen and i apologize to you friends because i am not always good at this i don't always want to be here when I get sad or anxious or afraid, I tend to want to just climb a mountain. I tend to want to run away and hide. And I know many of us are the same. So I'm not trying to guilt you here. I'm not trying to say, you know, be like me, because oftentimes you shouldn't probably. What I'm saying is believe the word of God and follow it in spite of how you might feel. Amen? Thank you. Finally, let me close with this. These, these last words charge us and assure us. Stand firm in this grace. Stand firm. See, I just sort of said that. Believe it in spite of how you feel. Believe it and follow it. Stand firm in this grace. You see, these last words charge us and assure us. There's a charge. We have something to do. Stand firm. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't stop believing God's word. Don't stop believing in the power of 
his presence when we gather. Don't start thinking that sin is better. It's not. Don't drink your problems away or smoke your problems away or eat your problems away or TV your problems away or work your problems away. Come to the God of peace, the Christ that offers you that peace and who'll give it to you. Keep showing up. Don't let your love for God's word, for prayer, or for our gathering, don't let it grow dim or wax cold. We refuse to do this. A Christian is a person who absolutely refuses to walk away from Jesus Christ. We won't do it. And if we ever do it, it's but a season because we know our souls are tormented and we cannot live without this water, without this bread. So if you're thinking about it right now, come back. Don't entertain it anymore. Stand firm in this grace. It's a grace to you. It's a good gift to you. And when he comes, he'll put a crown on your head. He'll dry your tears. Every commitment that you made that, that you think is hurting you, your faithfulness in marriage, whatever it might be, your, your being a good parent to your child is limiting your options. All these things, that these ways that Satan tempts us, You see, friends, God will dry your tears. He'll put a crown on your head. Follow Christ. Stand firm in this grace that he's provided. Friends, if we lay our burdens in a safe place, if we are to lay our burdens in a safe place, we need this charge to stand firm. We need to refuse to forget God's grace and his purpose and be assured of his provisional grace. Peace be with you, Jesus said. My peace I give to you. The shalom of Israel. You know what shalom means? Um, what, what it meant at least for Israel in the Old Testament. It's a very popular word. It's not just inner peace. It's not just like equilibrium in your soul. You're mad today. You're happy tomorrow. It's not just soul peace. Um, it's peace in all functions of life. Governmental peace. It's natural peace in the, in the world. Right? Trees, animals. You see, everything was, was broken by sin. So peace for for the Israelite, the shalom of God that he brings, everything is fixed. Not just your heart, but lions lie down with lambs again. Children put their hands into the adder's den, that's a poisonous snake, and they're not harmed. You see, the whole world, with its government, with its governors, with its rulers, with with, with, with its citizens, with its children, with its families, is at shalom. It's at peace. The home, all of this, governments, the world that we live in is all broken. It's all put back at peace when the shalom of of God, which is Jesus Christ, returns. So shalom for ancient Israel was creation's return to paradise. Isn't that great? And because of this, consequently, the soul is at shalom, at peace. Friends, if you're in Christ, that's the peace he brings in spite of your pain. Believe it. Stand firm in that grace. And if you don't, if you don't know Christ, come and get him. Because his hands are put out to you right now. He's risen from the dead. He speaks to us through creation and his word. And his love is there for yours to take. Come get it. Let's pray. God, we want to close this wonderful Lord's Day.
remembering God, to, cre- to greet each other with holy affection, to remind each other of who we are, that you're in our midst right now, that Jesus Christ is here. God, when we sing, when we, when we interact, when we break bread, when we hear the reading of Scripture, the preaching and explanation of Scripture, all of it is about Christ, around Christ, and you're with us. We're not alone. Oh God, we thank you that you speak to us, that at the other end of our pain is a person that loves us. I thank you, God, for what you've taught us these few months about how you love us. I pray that you bless this church. Oh God, help our spirits to grow. Help our souls to grow, to be more holy, to have more faith, to be like you, to trust you. And God, when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. Well, we thank you for this, God. And God, this morning we ask